This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. It's actually always sunny. So it's not always sunny in Philadelphia, but today it does happen to be for the first time in a long time. It's always, it's always a plus. And that's the voice of uh, special guest co-host today, Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times. How you doing, man? Welcome back to... Uh, Welcome back to Fishtown. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Baxter's here too for now. Um, he just ate his breakfast at 1.30 in the afternoon on Wednesday. I think he was asleep on the, uh, on the couch or the guest bedroom or something. It's a very it's a very journalist <laughs> schedule. I can completely sympathize. I had a couple days like that last week, Baxter. It's, it's, quite, it's quite all right. He can't really be arsed uh, to do much of anything when, you, when you're a dog, you know? So uh, life is... Uh, Life is good when you're Baxter, and life is good uh, for the Philadelphia Union right now. I guess uh, you know they're still obviously uh, not where they want to be in the table, but two straight wins, two straight shutouts, uh, seven goals scored uh, versus zero conceded, um, four nothing down in DC, coming off of a three nothing in New York, coming off a nil nil in LA. So I will let you have the first word, man. You were da- you were down there at the art. You saw the the ultimate. The final game at RFK. The, the final game at RFK <laughs> until when that stadium runs late and we have to go down to RFK once last year. So, yes, the final game at RFK. <laughs> yeah. It's really been kind of a weird couple weeks because when you look at where the Union are, and yes, they're still 10th in the standings, but they have a positive one goal. I tweeted these out the other day because they kind of flabbergasted me. They have a positive one goal differential, mm-hmm. which you look at the Red Bulls, I think are like minus six or something like that. They're yeah. they're they're heavily negative in goal differential. And they're two points behind Atlanta. That you know, the only difference between them and Atlanta right now is one draw you know, one draw that would have been turned into a win. Mm-hmm. And to think about how different people felt league wide about Atlanta in March and how they felt about the Union in April and by the end of this week the union could be ahead of them. It's it's just a remarkable thing. And and Jim Curtin and a lot of the people around the union have talked a little bit about how much MLS can turn around and how quickly it can turn around. And that always sounds like a cliche, but you see it with the union. They're you know, if they if they can get two results at home this week and they have two games that are it's doable to get results, mm-hmm. they could be back in the playoff picture. Yeah, it's funny. I I and you look at Seattle's example last year, you know, as crappy as they were in the first half of the year and then going on to win it all. And I think, too, we kind of have to take a step back. And I think the severity of the way that we were looking at the union was also based on that carryover from how they played last year. And we were talking about the streak being 16 games and 250 days and whatnot, which I think in the bigger picture is overall it's fair to look at it that way, while also then in a micro sense saying, well, then this season alone, um, you know, it had only been eight games. You know, and we all know that MLS is a league, and I, I hate I hate the fact that that they do it this way. But more than half the teams in the league get into the playoffs, so that creates a lot of narratives. That when a team like the Philadelphia Union, that's two four and four, gets close to the line, uh, you know, you can be in seventh place or eighth place and be three points off the line, but you can also be three points to last place. You know, and that's just what it is with parity. So I don't, I don't think, and Jim, to his credit, I mean, we had the press conference today, uh, Tuesday, we're recording. 
and he, he said the same thing. He's like, you know, we, we've won two games or whatever. We know where we are on the table, but, um, you know, they, it is what it is. And if Seattle fires their coach and makes one good DP sign and they go on to win the whole thing. So it's, that's just the world we're living in. And it makes, it makes MLS entertaining. You look at some of the games this weekend and there are some <laughs> entertaining games where, you know, for LA to come across the country and do what they did to Red Bulls, it certainly makes it entertaining and more than a little bit unpredictable to see what Chicago did to Chicago, Seattle yeah, at home. Yeah. And then I spent, I wasted my breath arguing with people about uh, Sam Allardyce and Crystal Palace and whether 16th place should be you know something worth worth celebrating overseas when you have a, a pro rel system and all that. Maybe we can get into that a little bit, a little bit later. We'll but, save um, we'll save it for Twitter. We'll that save. way we have a more captive <laughs> we'll leave, audience there. Right. We'll leave that. We won't uh, we won't uh, make them listen to that, but. Uh, no, defensively, I mean, watching from afar, I just uh, thought Harrison Dunian played his best game in a, in a Union shirt. Had something like 18 defensive actions, a couple of key wins on Luciano Costa, um, Gooch and Elliott. Just smart positioning and calm on the ball. I'd, I'd, I just, I'm not surprised at all that when they went down to L.A. after the 3-3 draw with Montreal, they just focused with what we all knew that Jim Curtin would do is just try to patch up the defense, we'll fix it up mm-hmm. in the back, and then we'll worry about the offense going going forward. And they got what they needed in L.A., and that kind of gave them the confidence to kind of, okay, we've kind of shored up, patched up the defense, now we know what we have to do going forward. And that was inevitable. We saw the same thing in 2012, you know, where that yeah. team started off with three straight losses, and then they got a couple of one nothing wins right in a row. I think they beat Columbus one nothing, and they beat Chivas one nothing on the road, but – when you're in a slump and you're trying to to build this four two three one system and do what you're trying to do, then that's that's what it's always going to be. You're always going to try to go from back to front. And I think it's an understanding, not just of each other, but also the understanding of what they are. I think at the beginning of the season, you saw a lot of Jim Curtin talking about, we want to be a possession team. We want to be a press team. We want to press teams minute one to minute 90, all those kinds of things. And those are difficult things to do. And I think what they've done is simplified it in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. They're more compact. The spacing's better. Yeah. There's less less for Harris Medujanin to do mm-hmm. defensively. And they're being a little bit more strategic about when they decide to press. So their wingers aren't getting caught out. Their fullbacks aren't getting caught out. Mm-hmm. Everything's a little bit more compact. And then they're figuring things out from there. They're, you know... It, it's really realizing what they are. And I, I thought early in the season, some of the way that Jim Curtin talked about uh, the way he wanted to be a possession team, that sounded a lot like a lot like Hackworth in yeah. between 2013 and 2014. Yeah. It was like, we want to be a possession team and all those things. And that's a really difficult thing to do. You can't but just you do have that to, overnight. No, and you can't. And they don't have the, the people to do it. And I don't think they have the style to do it. But it can be done over certain portions of the game. And just like pressing could be done certain portions of the game. Mm-hmm. the red It works for the Red Bulls to do it for 90 minutes. And, you know, it doesn't always work for the Red Bulls to do it for 90 minutes. But yeah. you have to kind of pick the spots. And the more that this team gets comfortable with each other and they start to know each other, the easier that's going to be to know, okay, let's, let's have a period where we're going to stay compact because they're turning it up. Let's have a period where they're, you know, it's time to press because a team like D.C. is vulnerable or on the back foot. And, you know, credit to Jim for – making tweaks and switching things up with the personnel we all know he's not coming out of the shape and when we've asked ernie about it you were standing there when we were in that Mm -hmm. scrum with him he said well we don't we feel like we can make tweaks with personnel and putting different names in there but it doesn't necessarily have to mean we play 4-4-2 right so they have ray gaddis in there they've moved bedoya back to the eight which i think everybody knew had to happen and they admitted as much and they finally did it uh fafa pico comes in they tried El Senio at the 10. Roland Alberg finally got a, got a run there when, when Bedoya came back. Pontius, they put him on the other side of the field. Mm-hmm. 
So as much as we talk about Jim being stiff tactically, I, I think that still is true. I understand where they're coming from, where they say this is the base of what we want to, how we want to teach it, and this is what we want to teach out of, and we think we can do multiple things from this shape. So they've stuck to what they've said they're they've they're going to do. And they've they've made the adjustments with personnel only. Mm-hmm. Now, does does that you know to, if if I'm sitting here as a fan or a writer or whatever, does that say to me that they're doing everything that they can to change it? No, but that's a lot more than we've seen from them in the past. 2015, Jim Curtin had Andrew Wenger out there for 17 straight games, right? Oh, you had to bring that up. Had the same personnel. You had to bring out that up, for... even though Dave's not here. You had to bring that up. <laughs> oh, he's due. Well, maybe he's due for the for a goal against. I don't, I don't think. Know. I don't, I don't know. think he's due. He's but, not even really seeing the field all that much. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that's the, the point being, I think that they have, even if they don't necessarily want to, they have made some tweaks and they have made some changes and they have come out of the comfort zone a little bit. It's not to say that they are Toronto when it comes to mm-hmm. these tactical masterpieces, but they've, they've, Jim's come a little bit out of his comfort zone. Wouldn't you agree with that? And I think what he's been able to do is know that he has guys who play the position a little bit different ways so week to week this season he hasn't made more than two changes in any of his starting 11s yeah it's yeah, true but he also knows that Fafa Pico is going to play the wing position a little bit different than mm-hmm. Fabian Herbers mm-hmm. is and Ilsenio is going to play the number 10 a little different than Roland Alberg is and I think we're going to get to a point where he's going to be able to play matchups with Jay Simpson versus CJ Sapong mm-hmm. depending on who he's playing the key for me is that next step now you have that you have this information in the bank. Yes. Is Jim going to have the courage sometimes to play those matchups? If you've got a, a right back that you can, you know, a, a slow-footed right back, are you going to hit him with Fafa Pico because he's mm-hmm. got that speed? Are you going to know that you have kind of bruising center backs and that's a CJ Sapong day whereas another day it's a J, maybe it's a Jay Simpson matchup? That's what I think is the next level. And it starts this week because we watched a bunch of times last year where they did have success on those Wednesday-Saturday kind of games, but they had success in bunkering down, playing the same guys, trusting their fitness instead of making any kind of real changes. I mean, how many times do we see Brian Carroll and Warren Craval as the 6-8 combo? They did the Orlando and then Colorado trip. You remember where they got the two draws back-to-back? They did the other one where they went up to – Jesus, who'd they play where they got another draw for that one? But so, right, I think you have to put that in motion. Now, this week's going to explain whether what you're saying, whether he's evolved in that a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, will you sit CJ on a Wednesday or Saturday and trust Jay Simpson to go up there? Are you going to run CJ into the ground? You know, they've yeah. said it before, and we've said they do have the most depth that they've ever had this year. So if you aren't going to do it, that's not to say that. That means squad rotation, right? I mean, when right. we say squad rotation, it sounds like you're changing out the whole damn thing. But you're not. You're just adding a couple different guys in there. And Jim has always scoffed at that in the past because he says, we're not Chelsea. We don't have Willian and Fabregas and John Terry sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. you know. But you do have Herbers and Allberg and at least enough to make three or four changes. So if you're going Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, you, you can do that. Right. And I, I think we brought it up today to Jim, that exact question about squad rotation. I think... Jim sometimes thinks of squad rotation as kind of a dirty word. And I think his, he just dislikes that term. More, I, I more than the so. idea of putting different guys on the field. He just I think he thinks that term is like kind of Euro or kind of like a Jose and, Mourinho-esque. And or something. even from a more practical perspective, I think it's a cornerstone of Jim's coaching philosophy. When we talk about Jim being a player's manager, he's very good at saying there's a clear correlation between what you do in training and what you do in the game. And then 
whether I'm going to select you. So if you succeed in a game, you can know from Jim Curtin that more often than not, he's going to select you for the next game. He's very consistent in that way. And Mm -hmm. I think that's part of being a player's manager. But at the same time, there's been times where he's been a little obstinate in running guys out there repeatedly. We should go in, I think, looking from the outside, and Jim hides behind the numbers a lot, and today his conversation was a lot about, well, if I if I make changes and we lose, then I look like an idiot. If we don't, I'm paraphrasing, if, if we don't might... <laughs> change and we lose, yeah. we look like an idiot, so all we yeah, have to do yeah, is yeah. win, and that's not really an answer he he backed it up a little bit. You with could saying feel him he, kind of going down a road that he you could that he didn't really want to go down. Where he, he's he was kind of looking at the media thing again, and he made mention of you know um, the thing between me and him like two weeks ago. But it's not so what so what don't read first of all don't read anything that we write and don't worry don't worry about anybody can have revisionist history about anything you right. know of course if they go out and lose on wednesday we could say well maybe uh sapong should have started of course but, but there's a, you can't lend any any credence to that but kind of I, stuff. I don't i don't know why he I, I don't know why he took that position because i don't think he goes by that one way or the other for as much as they do yeah. the yeah. sports performance stuff they have data that certainly we're not privy to but about how much you know they he knows how much il senior ran in the last week down to the inch mm-hmm. you know they go by that so i, I don't i it's why that position is a little confusing to me yeah. but i do think just from a base perspective going into this week aguchi and yewu is probably not physically capable of going 90 minutes three times in a week. So what would okay, I, I don't so, think that that's so let's just so let's just walk it through then. Um, and Jim pointed out that they didn't they didn't log as they didn't have to cover as much ground because they're up a man uh, and kind of controlling the game. And yeah. It wasn't a hectic back and forth kind of thing. So Wednesday, are you starting? Well, why don't we go front to back? Are you starting Sapong or Simpson on Wednesday? I think Wednesday against Houston. I would consider. St- see, I, I I know Jim Curtin starting CJ Sapong. <laughs> we don't even need to. We don't. But who would? But that's. Be, not, but I'm asking. We don't need who to would theorize you, who, that. But, so, but who would you? Who would you start? I would think. I think the matchup in a vacuum probably looks a little bit better for. Um, probably it probably looks a little bit better for CJ. Yeah. If you've got a team that's bunkered in, you probably need his strength on the ball because there's going to be some close quarters. Um, I also think CJ's maybe a little bit better matchup against Axel Schoberg on Saturday too, um, but that game maybe Simpson gets a look. Um, but I think I think Sapong's one that you can start him regularly. He he holds up maybe a little bit better. I guess, and it's still early. I mean, yes, it's still early. It's this is the first you know three game in mm-hmm. eight day or three. Game and and I don't think he done. took. I don't think he took a huge beating against DC. No, he by, didn't by his. Standards. So the, uh, maybe maybe you do maybe you do this maybe you do uh, you know so if you start CJ on Wednesday then you go Pico Ilsenio Herbers right because we're assuming that Allberg's not a hundred percent he wasn't out there yeah I would assume out Allberg, there yeah. so you do the same front four that you had the last game Bedoya and Medunianin that's fine uh, if you want to do Gucci and Elliott again fine you could play the same. 11 that you played against DC and then maybe the next next game you put Simpson up there and that would maybe put Marquez in for for, yeah. for Gooch um you know I I think Gaddis would probably play both of them they don't they don't have to make a ton of changes but you have the ability to do it I would like to see what I would like to see ideally is if they play the same 11 mm-hmm. on Wednesday that they did in DC then on Saturday start Herbers start Simpson and start Marquez 
Yeah, I or don't think even that's too much. Is even that's not too much, ask. I would think even maybe start Adam and Jem if if Alberg's not ready to go. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, that de- would also be dependent on how Olsenio does as a ten if he plays a ten against Houston. You yeah. know, but that's not. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. That's but not, I, and that's not even squad rotation. That's just changing two or three guys. You right. Know? And I think I think Najem especially if Alberg's not Alberg's probably not going to be ready to go Wednesday almost certainly. So um, what else? Um, what else did you gather from the from the press conference? Uh well, not a ton, right? There's there really not yeah, not yeah. a ton there. I mean, I had a good conversation with Ilsenio about playing the number ten role which, in Portuguese. Did you guys speak? In no, Portuguese? his English Ilsenio's English is actually very good. I told him it's mm. it's probably a little bit better than Fabinho's was at this point, <laughs> and he's still he's still very self conscious about talking in English. But yeah. his English is actually very good, and you know he brought up some good points. Is that we from the outside kind of think. Oh, we look at Elsinio and he's tricky and he doesn't run a lot, doesn't do a ton of defensive work. So mm-hmm. just stick him at the number 10. That's easy to kind of The thought would be that those. he can use his creativity there without having to do as much work. Yeah, maybe this is an Americanized view, but creative is creative. And, you know, maybe we don't see the, the fine texture between what a Brazilian winger brings as opposed to a... You know, a Brazilian number ten, whereas mm-hmm. in America, it's it's a little bit different. That's, that's fair. And yeah, you look at a guy yeah. like Darling. You know, how much have we talked about Kristen Pulisic? Whether he plays insiders as a winger? Yeah, yeah, we've had the same. Yeah. Nagby plays outside as well as you know, pretty interchangeably. And maybe that's just an American thing. But he mentioned that there's a lot of changes that happen when he goes inside. And I thought Jim Curtin's quote was interesting about the fact that. When they moved Elsinio inside, he started doing some of the things they've been trying to get him to do as a winger. On the wing, yeah. In terms of mm-hmm. some of the runs he's selecting and some getting of the... behind. You talked about getting behind the defense. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, he had the one sequence, you know, where it's it's. I think the thing with Elsinio, I think Jim was kind of getting to this a little bit. I was going to follow up, but the first answer was so long anyway. But Elsinio, it's not the first decision. Or even the second decision, it's the final decision. Right. He'll make he'll square a guy up. He'll beat him with an elastico and a nutmeg or something. But then he won't make the next pass, or he'll miss on the next dribble attempt. And that's a frustrating thing because you see the flashes there all the time. They had the turnover in the 19th minute the other day. Mm-hmm. Ball squirts by a defensive mistake. He has Pico bombing on the flank next to him, and he decides to try a try a shot from 19 yards away. Right. Then you come back down on the other side of the field. He shows patience. He waits, and he waits for Bedoya to run behind him, and he chips a ball over the top, and that led to a scoring chance. So I think that's the thing. I think this, there's still open auditions for the number 10 on this team because you see flashes from Allberg and you see flashes from El Sino, but it's just not enough consistency where they're doing um, you know, where they're doing it game in and game out. Right, Baxter? As Baxter licks. Um, don't do that. Just <laughs> I'll, We'll go OUT later, all right, man? Um, yeah, and, and I think that's I think that's something that J- that Curtin is starting to compensate for. Elsino's just not a goals and assists guy, and yeah. that's okay as long as you kind of come to that realization. And now that Fafa Pico's scoring, and obviously Chris Pontius is a guy who just gets goals and assists. You know, he's, he's yeah. quietly got four assists this year, even yeah. though he's kind of struggled a little I mean, bit. Three of them have been on knockdowns in the box, and the fourth one. I mean, he got the assist on on the Medunian goal the other night, which really wasn't yeah. much of an assist. But, you know, it, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to find stuff like that all across MLS. So it's hard, unless, unless somebody's going to sit there and log every single assist that every single person had in MLS and whether, you know, it was worthy or not or what the context of the play right. was, which isn't a bad idea, honestly. But, um, you know, we're never going to be able to, to make those kind of but it was, But it was still a good play by because a lot of wingers would maybe press forward there, but it was so for good, him to cut it. Yeah, it was a good it decision by him finding that space. Right. But yeah. so it, it's but that's the kind of context that, again, that would justify whether it should be 
counted as an assist or not. And then in right. that case, I'm fine. That's fine with me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't think I didn't think Medunjanin's his assist on the Pico goal was really. That was just a very basic. <laughs> I know. That was just a very basic kind of layoff, and that's and, a whole other thing for a whole other. Yeah, um, that well. So anyway, I mean, it was we don't sense play, but it was a simple play. Yeah, so we think that Ilsenia will probably play the ten. So we probably don't. We don't think there's going to be much changes for Wednesday, and we'll see what happens um, Saturday. Um, you know, I wanted to mention the town hall thing. Uh, the the meeting for season ticket holders uh, last week. Uh, media was not allowed there obviously this is just for st sths but um you know there were a couple people there who were interested in uh disseminating that information to the rest of the fan base so they gave me the audio of it and uh i mean i I thought it was i thought there was a lot of good stuff that came out of it honestly i thought ernie was very passionate in a lot of things that he said um i think he might have been a little off on some of the emotional kind of things specifically i think he was talking about how the booing of jim Curtin pisses him off and and the idea that people don't see the work that they put in at practice or that they put in training the things that they do behind the scenes and that's all well and good and i understand why he feels that way but um you know again we're just judging people by the product that's on the field um you know you don't win trophies and you don't win and lose games uh by what happens at uh, the power training complex on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So I, I think fans are certainly justified if they want to boo a team that hadn't hadn't won until that point. Uh, you know, a game in two hundred some days. I think that's certainly justified. Um, you know, he also just talked about his passion for youth development, and you know, kind of you know went against the the idea of the DPS and stuff like that, which is also fine. But it just you know, I, he said he said something to the effect of, "If you're just here for wins and losses, I can't promise you that." Um, and that's the thing that bothered me the most um, as a fan of Philadelphia sports in general. Now, somebody who writes about the soccer team here, and I kind of got into this with the arguments I was having with people on on Twitter about like the promotion, the promotion relegation, 16th place, 15th place, whether that's something to celebrate or not. Like to me, you play for trophies, you play for titles, you play for championships, especially in Philadelphia where we haven't won jack shit in the longest time. You know, we have one title in going back to you know, the 2008 Phillies. And then but the Sixers that, could win the lottery tonight. Yeah, well, that's it's, good, good that's, for them. That's championship. Get excited. Bronze that ping too. pong ball. I thought it was funny too. Ernie said, I don't want to sound, he said, quote, I don't want to sound corny or sound like the Sixers or anything with, with the process. So I think he was kind of, I think he was, I think fundamentally he's against the idea of losing to win, but he's also saying that, it sounded like the ulterior go- the the ultimate goals for them were to develop youth players, to put them on the national team, and to contribute in that way. When I don't think the f- average Philadelphia Union fan really cares all that much, I think they want the Philadelphia Union to win trophies. Yeah, I think I've struggled with this a little bit because Ernie Stewart obviously is a well-traveled soccer man. He certainly knows the world of soccer, and the pressures that he's faced as a player and a coach in the Netherlands are on probably a way different scale. And he talked about that too at the town hall, and he mentioned how Azed had this $25 million deficit and he was working against the the grain with that as well. And I think he's dealt with that public perception. I think one of the things, one of the early questions I recall asking him was about, you know, the difference in dealing with the media. This was an off-the-record conversation. Dealing with the difference of the media over there as opposed to here, the Mm. soccer media. And he just kind of laughed and said that it's, you know, it's it's way different. Well, that was actually um, on the record too, because oh, we asked him yeah, that last year. I think we've had we've yeah, had that conversation we've a couple about times that on the record before. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think he's, he said they were. He just felt like they were kind of more cynical and more ins- insidious over there than right. we are. And I think one of the biggest 
drawbacks on Nick Sakevich, and there were many to choose from, is that there was a certain tone deafness in the way that he would deal with concerns. He was obviously came in here and had a long track record of interacting with the Sons of Ben and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. towards the end, he would proclaim things that were kind of divorced from reality. And Ernie isn't doing that for sure, but there's certainly this disconnect between what the fans feel and the way that Ernie goes about his business. And some of that is necessary and some of that is very good. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have an emotional owner or an emotional guy at the controls who's going to make knee-jerk reactions and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think this season ticket holder meeting and some of the other interactions that he's probably had kind of gotten at this where there's this little bit of a disconnect that I don't know if it's that he's not fully appreciating the frustration that's endemic in this fan base or if it's just a different take on the fans desire for a win and the fans need for a win as opposed to what Ernie's bringing to the table and it's not to question the desire on either side. It's just that they're different in some kind yeah, of way that yeah. I think is causing a little bit of friction. And it's not to say that one's even right or wrong. You know, I mean, nobody knows what the board objectives of the Philadelphia Union are. J- I mean, Jay Sugarman, for all we know, could have hired Ernie Stewart thinking, hey, we can turn some kids out through the academy, flip them, make some money, and you know, maybe produce some people for the national team. Maybe, maybe winning a trophy isn't the number one priority. You know, it's like when I worked in the news, when I worked at Channel 3 for all those years, people say, oh, you know, you do good journalism and you're fair and balanced. But it's a business that exists to make money and exists in the private sector. Leslie Moonves can have any friggin' motive that he wants. Right. His motive for doing this and for running CBS Corporation doesn't have to be to do Pulitzer Prize winning journalism. It can be to make money. It can be to grow his stock. It can be all these kinds of things. So... I don't know if, if if Ernie thinks that youth development and you know creating people for the national team is one thing that's fine. I think the majority of the union fan base, as they are Philadelphia fans of other sports as well, would probably say we want to win trophies. Uh, I think the the pragmatist and all this would say, well, let's try to do all of it. Yeah, you know, Alex Ferguson would say that. You know, and it's I, not it's not you know Herm Edwards said it the best man. You play to win the game. I I don't I I just don't really see the point of saying don't come here for wins and losses okay well if you're not coming there for wins and losses then what the hell are you trying to do because you also don't produce people for the national team by losing yeah and i (laughs) I think it's going to take some time to kind of resolve those two differences into one coherent ideology where everyone's kind of on the same page there's certainly time i mean we still have to remember Ernie Stewart's only been here 18, 18 months. I get it. And he's I got a long, a long and history to, his credit, he, to in, unravel. In the town hall meeting, he did say, you know, I do understand now that there is a history of whatever that came before me, right? And I, and that's that's all. He just has to acknowledge that. That's all. You know, yeah. And then he can go ahead and execute what he was hired to do, you know? And I think he, it's about acknowledging it and saying, I, I think it would maybe help sometimes to say, hey, we're not doing things in that way because I think people are there are fans that are scarred by that they're yeah. scarred by the stop and starts that are scarred by the you know misdirections of the previous administration and I think it just takes time to build up that confidence and, and that belief back yeah that's all it is that's all it is I think people I mean I, I think he came off overall the stuff that I listened to from him I think he came off pretty good mm-hmm. uh, the one quote that I put out there on Twitter was widely shared and People gave him plaudits for that. It went on for like 20 minutes, very emotional, you know, saying this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And I think I think that kind of resonated 
with the fan base. But I think, like you said, that those two ideas are kind of exist in different areas right now. So we'll see where they end up. I just wanted to mention the, not the pro rel thing necessarily, but the discussion that we had on Twitter the other day, you know, I was, I just kind of roll my eyes when I, I, I was listening to the, I was watching the crystal palace game. And then the commentator said like another fine season for Sam Allardyce, you know, and they finished what, like 13th, 14th, 15th place. Who the hell cares? But you know, the thing about the thing about pro rel, and this goes along with what we're saying about the union. What is the goal of a team that's set up in the boardroom? When you have promotion and relegation and you don't have a salary cap and you have teams like Chelsea that can go out and spend millions of dollars more than the West Brahms of the world, then that creates these, uh, you know, this idea that people are fine with just staying up, you know, and they know they're never going to win anything and they're never going to qualify for Europe. You know, can you really be that happy with it when your goal every year is just to finish anywhere from 15th to 6th place and what does that do for you as a fan? And what does it do for you as a fan? Like that's just not ingrained in the American psyche, you know? And that goes to what we're saying about the Philadelphia union MLS. What is the goal? You know, they're not going to get relegated. Right. And you know that with a couple wins, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, they can get themselves into the playoffs. So what system, which system really is better when you consider what teams have a chance of actually winning the ultimate prize, achieving the pinnacle of the, of the campaign? Yeah, I, I I think sometimes there's without getting involved with the uh, with the without pro Baxter rel- <laughs> biting the cord in half again. That's why I kicked you out last time, man, because you bought because you had to bite the uh, microphone cable. You're getting you're getting close to a Chris Penso talking to. Or <laughs> just one. a straight red. He yeah. was he was a lot he was a lot quicker with Fabinho on that yellow and and Bedoya in the first ten minutes against DC. Yeah. Um. Without delving too deeply into the whole pro rel <laughs> thing, separate, because that's yeah. always difficult. That's a whole, I, I told people I'd do my, I'd do a separate podcast on that someday. So. That yeah, we're gonna have to quarantine that one. Yeah, um, we'll get but, everybody. Here you know, I, I've always wondered. You know, ten years ago, watching some of those Fulham teams with Brian McBride and and Carlos Bocanegra. You know, I enjoyed watching those Fulham yeah. teams. Yeah. And I always wondered if you're a Fulham fan, what is it that you're watching for? Because I, I know you're watching for moments and you're watching for games that are great experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think I see it now with, you know, watching Bournemouth um, sure. as a team that I like. Yeah. You know, a, a Bournemouth season last year was made by them going to Stamford Bridge and winning. And that's obviously a special moment. Sure. But, you know, that's that's the pinnacle. Uh, they're not going to win an FA Cup. That's they're it. not going to go to we Europe. We know Bournemouth ain't winning anymore. You're gonna that, you're yeah. gonna exist in this perpetual mid-table, you know, Evertonian existence of somewhere between sixth and twelfth, and the only way that you're going to break that is by being relegated. And how and many times? How many times has Leicester City happened in the history of the Premier League? <laughs> Very few. I once. mean, it was them. It's happened and once. Yeah. Them, and I guess if we want to talk about, uh, was it Forest in the early in the eighties oh. or? Well, yeah, and they were a different team back then too. And um, you know, the whole de- yeah. it, it's such a rare thing to happen. And now that Leicester's happened, it's not going to happen again for another. 10, 15, 20 years. That's why I, make admittedly sure I was very bored watching the Premier League this year. Not that I was bored watching the product on the field. I mean, I wake up every Saturday morning, I turn it on, but I'm sitting there thinking, well, I know that only four teams are really going to win it. And we all knew three months ago that Chelsea had it pretty much yeah. wrapped up. So, all right. Anyway, moving on, uh, let's do uh, questions. Let me see if I can scroll all the way to what is, oh my God, I can't even find. 
uh, where I started here. Oh, there's something from Union Hulk, so I guess I'm on the right. Uh, yep. Well, there I'm we go. The that's right that's where that's where we have to start because there was a Brazilian sighting yeah. today. Well, we did this. I actually asked the. Uh, luckily for me, I, I asked the questions far enough in advance that we actually got a bunch of stuff this week. So, uh, your feelings on relegation battles, lower MLS standings, and their inherent value? Yeah, I think we just mentioned on that. But I, I just think again, that's an American versus European kind of feeling. I can't say for sure. Like if I was a, if I grew up in Scotland and I was a fan of like a fourth division. Team, uh, maybe I'd I'd view it differently. But I, I, all I can say is a long, a long-suffering Philadelphia sports fan. You know, we want titles, and that's it. We don't need anything else. So. Yeah, and it was one, th- and it was one thing in the '60s when you didn't have the money that was influencing like it is now. Like, like many other things, it's become so stratified, and the classes are so different that yeah, yeah. When it was formed, that was fine. But and you would see that in American soccer too. You'd have your you'd have your big time. Yeah. You know, you'd have your Toronto's never being relegated and all that. But anyway, yeah. that's beside the point. Davis Russell from uh, PSP. Uh, do GAM and TAM roll over year by year? Uh, is it true that salaries under the DP threshold are paid by the league and not the individual teams? Uh, GAM and TAM, no, they no, they don't I roll think over. They, right? they do over a certain period. So I think the original... The original TAM was that it was supposed to be a hundred thousand dollars each for five years. Yes, and then you, like but that. you could use all five hundred thousand at the beginning if you wanted to, mm-hmm. and then they didn't even get five years into that, and then they brought in a new infusion of More, cash. Yeah. So I, I think the moral of the story is, is that if you present a decent plan to sign a decent player to MLS, they'll figure out a way to get it done as a yeah. club. You'll figure out a way. Um, and is it true that salaries under the DP threshold are paid by the league and not the individual teams? Um, that I don't know. Yeah. There's a certain, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know what the threshold is, but there's a certain, uh, there's a certain point up to which MLS pays the salaries. And then once you pass that, that threshold, the Michael Bradley's of the world and stuff like that, then that extra is paid for by the teams themselves. But yes, there's a certain base amount for that's equal for every single team that's paid that's paid by the league right uh before you get there so uh realistic summer transfer targets um i'll I'll trump up the same guy i talked about last week adam maher you know i mean i still think the i still think the number 10 position leaves a lot to be desired um in philly you know and he's uh he'd be a perfect fit he was a he fed Josie a lot of assists uh, for Alkmaar, and he's not really on the PSV radar right now. So why not? I'm I'm all for the Adam Najem hashtag Player Kids campaign, but Adam Najem was not brought in necessarily for this year. Right. He's going to have his opportunities. I still think he's going to play at some point because Roland Alberg's fitness is not going to allow him to ever make 30 appearances in a season. So I think that is a a position that you're going to solidify. You're not going to go out and get another center back now because you have four, I think, viable center backs. I, I think another creative player would be exactly what they need. Speaking of center backs, do you see Elliot and Yarrow starting together? I would think so. I, I don't think that's a bad pairing. Um, I think Josh Yarrow's speed makes him amenable to playing with just about anybody. In this pairing, I find it interesting that Richie Marquez is maybe the odd man out a little bit in all this, which is yeah. not something I would have envisioned Strange, right? uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things progress, and, and that's the way things go. Um, I think they have some options. I, I wouldn't have necessarily thought Aguchi Onyewu and Jack Elliott would be a good pairing on paper, but it's worked. So I think if they keep some of the team principles, there's a lot of different pairings that can work. With Derek Jones, this is from Rich Ellis. With Derek Jones added to the U20 World Cup, where does he fit the senior 
men's national team picture? Does he possibly fill the uh, Beckerman and Jermaine Jones void? I mean, it's really early to start talking about that, but I think a guy who should be starting already is Kellen Acosta. You know, I mean, it's clear to me that he's one of the best midfielders in MLS, bar none. And uh, I would have liked to see him play in the qualifiers. But, yeah, I mean, that's going to be an issue. Pretty, I guess it already is an issue. Beckerman, Jermaine Jones, Michael Bradley. I mean, Nagby maybe playing centrally. I, I would start Kellen Acosta there. But I'd like to see Derek Jones and Tyler Adams play together in the U-20 World Cup, and we'll see what happens Absolutely, I, from there. You're looking at a generational shift, and I think the time is well past as much as Jermaine Jones and as much as Kyle Beckerman have added undeniably to the national team the time for a generational change is well past and it should be Kellen Acosta getting a lot more minutes I think he has that quintessential ability to not only be a steady midfielder but jump up and his touch in front of goal is phenomenal yeah it is it really is absolutely phenomenal he's very good at crashing the box but also um playing the defensive role as well um EJ McGrogan says, is the forecast for tomorrow uh well the forecast for Wednesday when Houston visits proof that God hates us (laughs) Jim talked about that a lot uh, at the press conference. I'll be in Miami. I'm leaving. I'm going to miss the next two games. I'm going on vacation for a little bit. So, I guess if you're looking for proof that God hates you, you might find it in a lot of places. That's It'll be better. The, the, the best f- I can do there. The forecast will be better here than it will be in uh, Miami, actually. Any chance of getting uh, the goalkeeper and uh, Matt DeGeorge together on for one big podcast? Well, you're here right now. I, I so. don't it, Jonathan's uh, Jonathan's upfronts are pricey, so we might start a GoFundMe. We'll we'll have to see. We might have to get JT on the phone. But no, I would love to do more. I mean, we had Matt and Dave in here together the one time, but they had to pay us a microphone because I don't have the hookup for more than two mics right now. Even though I have, I'm, we're sitting here in a music studio that I built. I can't hook up more than two microphones right now, so I got to get another <clears throat> piece of uh, equipment here. Uh, what else do we got? Gotta get this Union Hulk question in. Oh yeah, what did he story say? time? Why was Renee Muhlenstein really here? Ooh. I was using coach and waiting, and that's, that never happened. Uh, that, uh, we, there are some theories. We'll do Union a whole Hulk. other. We'll do a podcast. On we'll that. we'll have to we'll have to do that podcast from a bar because those theories are yeah. are interesting. David G says uh, his question is blah 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 adieu blah blah blah. That's pretty much the exactly. Answers. He yes. answers his own question right there. That that is correct. Um, what's next? Oh, also opinion on Elsino at the time we talked about that. Uh, where in the world is Keegan Rosenberry? Is Jim getting Gaddis minutes to put him on the trade block uh, in the summer? You know what? I People ask that a lot in the offseason. Does Bray Gaddis have any trade value? Because they saw him not playing at all last year. And, you know, Keegan obviously being the guy. And then, you know, what can you get for, for Ray, who's on 150, uh, 130, 350K or something yeah. right now as a backup? But uh, I don't know, man. I honestly have no no idea. I mean, Ray's been pretty good the last couple games. And uh, it's not like he's some old head, you know. Uh, I I honestly don't know what to what to tell you about that. Keegan's obviously your future, I would think, but uh, at this point in time, you just need wins. I I, I don't. I really don't know. I think it's an opportunity to play matchups, like we've talked about in other places. There are going to be games where you're going to need an attack-minded fullback to shift the balance, mm-hmm. and and you saw it with DC because DC went really conservative with Burnbaum as a right back against the union. And then they made the change to bring on Corb and change the, the back four a little bit. And obviously that didn't take hold because Acosta got the red card right after that. But there are going to be games where you want to have an attack minded right back. And there's going to be games where you want more of a stay at home right back. I think maybe against Houston, you want Gaddis because of the threat of uh, the counterattack. 
from mm. and and the speed that the guys like Kyoto and Kyoto Elise, and Elise I don't know give you on the wings how their what their health is. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if you need a lockdown one v one kind of guy, then maybe in so that I, situation Ray is the best. Yeah, I think Gaddis suits you for Wednesday, but I think Keegan Rosenberry on uh, on Saturday against Colorado. If Colorado's going to bunker in and you're going to need an extra number to kind of thread some passes and and kind of break them open, then maybe Keegan Rosenberry is the matchup for for Saturday. Uh, Lou Kirsch says. Ham, gam, or tam, and uh, why? Uh, I don't I'm, par- really, I'm not much of a ham eater. I'm partial to ham, and yeah. I think you know that from my build. <laughs> I think it's. I think that could be said about most uh, most press uh, press cores. Not going to name any names though. They had tacos the other night, man. Those were yeah. good. Yeah, it's, it depends on it depends on how kosher the press box is. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's very true. Um, I yeah I would say Tam uh, barbecue football is that a question? Let me see here. Is this a question? Oh no, that's a response to something else. Sorry, I don't have like a filter. Let's on see. It. Do you think Blake could be so my eyes? I'm giving myself a headache like trying to hold my head straight. Twi- Twitter them. changed its font and it's just driving yeah. me nuts. Do, do you they, think do Blake? Every week. Do you think Blake could be sold this season or off season to afford players in positions in, of need? Do you think his value has gone down? I mean, I. I had that. I wrote about that last year. I said that I felt like they should have done it, but Ernie has kind of pushed back on that, saying that they got no phone calls and that he was criticized for saying that they got no phone calls. But I still, you know, if if you can flip Andre Andre Blake for a million dollars or two million dollars and use the money on a number ten, I mean, I I think you can have more of an impact going that way. But that's just me. Yeah, that feels like a scheduled tweet that we have to that we have to address this time every year. Here's an interesting one from Lungo Tavir. Sure. Who's that? Well, I don't know. It doesn't tweet a lot, but it tweet a, tweeted us questions, which I appreciate. Oh, good. Uh, so what do you feel Asenio lacked versus DC? And also, is Harris finding his MLS way or just a good game? Um, on El Senio, I think he played pretty well. Uh, you know, obviously, he's off the field for three of the four goals, but I think he did pretty pretty well. Uh, you know, we've we talked about that a little bit, but... I think it's encouraging enough to say that he can he's a viable option at the number 10 which is good because you have a guy like Fabian Herbers who can't get a start on the wing so why not move a guy yeah. at a position at a position of strength to a position of weakness on Harris absolutely I think he's finding his MLS way he, Harris I think Harris Madunjanin has the possibility to be an MLS all-star type player yeah absolutely. with his distribution and now that he's kind of figuring out the defensive end a little bit and what it takes I think he's got a ton of talent and you know, the the biggest thing is that he's against DC. He played like a, a difference maker and he hasn't done that a whole lot yet. And the money that they're paying him and where he was in their transfer window, they need him to be a difference maker. He was against DC and they won resoundingly. They, uh, I think the thing with all the number tens, no matter who plays there, whether it was Ollie at the beginning of the year, Roland, uh, Ilsino, they don't get enough touches, the, uh, the union tens. And Jim, Jim said that in the press conference. Um, part of that is just because, again, they, you know, they start from back to front, then they focus on defense first. They do play a lot up the flanks. Um, but they also just need to have a little more, um, you know, I don't want to say courage. It's such a corny word. Like they just got to try. You know, try playing those spl- those line splitting balls a little more too. You know, I think they default to playing those easy diagonals out to the corner because those are safe and you're not going to turn the ball over. But um, try to hit Roland in the final third. You know, try yeah. to get him with his with his you know in in stride. It doesn't always have to be checking back to to midfield to receive the ball. But 
you know, I think you're not probably not going to see a lot of that as they continue to just play basic, you know, style defense first, whatever. But they're just not. There's number tens, no matter who it is, just aren't getting enough touches on the ball. Yeah, I don't. I think part of it is is that those guys are not always the best at understanding the space. They're and not really number tens. They're not. No, they they yeah. play it so differently. I mean, you look at Elsino and his tendency when he's in the number ten is to drift out wide, and that's where he gets possession, and that's fine because he's so good at cutting in and it works for him. And Alberg's his deal when he's playing the number 10 is he tries to run the forward line as a second striker. You, and Bedoya, when he was playing as a number 10, dropped too far back just to get on the ball. There's nobody kind of, and you see it with Luciano Acosta, who's very good at it, drifting into those dangerous spaces mm-hmm. that are not, you know, in that kind of butter zone and being able to get the ball, turn, look up and find passes or play the ball between you just don't have a number 10 who does that a lot for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It's because they don't have what I think we would think of as a natural 10. Zone 14, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, Google zone 14 in soccer and look at that on a on a chart, and that's where you want your number 10 receiving a little bit more of the ball. But I think that's all we got. So that would thanks. be a good podcast name, though. Zone, zone 14, 14 podcast. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the name of like a, like a, sh- like a video game, a, a I, shooter with aliens or something. I assume Matt Doyle owns that owns that domain i think he's on 14 podcast that's right well we'll have to get him on here to talk about that but thanks again everybody for all the questions and thank you for uh listening you guys asked you wanted a a podcast every week so you know we deliver and uh many thanks to uh to matt for coming all the way up here today Sports Doctor md is the twitter handle read his stuff in the delco times the Pottstown Mercury. What uh, what other newspapers? You can get it in the Daily Local, the Daily Local, the Lans- <laughs> Lansdale Reporter, and the Times Herald, if that's still a thing. My dad always reads your stuff because he's he reads the Mercury every day, so he's like, "Yeah, I read that uh, the George article. It was good." I'm like, "Oh, I'll, I'll you know I'll tell him. I'll read." <laughs> so I know you have a, a loyal uh, reader. Big in, big in the two, burbs. two loyal readers in the Kincaid family for sure. But um, yeah, I'm bugging out to Miami for a little bit, so I won't be in the next two games, but. Uh, yeah, hopefully the union continued their uh, winning ways. We have some more good stuff to talk about on the podcast here, as always. Questions, comments, concerns, um, silly questions, whatever. All that stuff is appreciated. Kevin Kincaid, Matt DeGeorge, Baxter made it through the podcast as well. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. We'll see you next week.